There's a basic premise of evolution, though, too, right? If you, if you don't grow, mm-hmm. if you don't evolve, I mean, you know, by definition, evolving is, is some version of growth or, yes. or difference. Yeah. Um, if you don't do that, the species dies out. If you don't do it as, a, as an individual, you know, the yeah. fire burns out. If yeah. you don't do it as a company, you know, the company goes broke. Like, yes. it really doesn't matter who you are. If you're not taking some form of action, if you're not taking, if you're not evolving in some way. Yes. And if you're not doing it consciously, so that's that's part of your reflection side. So, if yeah. you don't if you don't do it consciously, chances are you're going to end up in a heap as well, yeah. right? Because you, you've arrived somewhere that yeah, by accident. Plan. I mean, yeah. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it might work out, yeah. but typically, if it does, it usually fails very quickly after that because you don't know how you got there. Yeah, it's yeah. not repeatable. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love it, mate. We're going to have a good chat. Just <laughs> yeah. trying to get comfortable. Gary Fay, how are you, mate? Very well, Brad. Thanks for having me down, mate. I've been looking forward to this one. I think it'll be a good chat. I'm, uh, I think you've got plenty to share. We've, uh, I'll show it quickly now, but your, your book, um, which came out a couple of years ago, Externally Bulletproof, Internally Brittle. We might talk a bit about that, but outside of that, I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Look, I, I've caught the first few episodes. I know it's it's still early or in its infancy, but I've caught the first few episodes and I've been learning a bit and uh, I've also enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm really grateful to be here, mate. And from the chat we had the other day, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to going to have a good uh, good conversation. Yeah. We'll see where we go, mate. We'll see where we go. <laughs> but, mate, look, at, you know, for anyone who doesn't know Gary, I, I might just quickly give it my you know, two cents, but I, I'd love to get you to unpack it. But, you know, you, you're a guy that's, I'd say, is a game of two halves. You know, I, I think you've had this, uh, you know, and, and that's probably doing it injustice, but certainly a very successful career with the Australian uh, Federal Police. You were once, you know, Kevin Rudd's... Uh, protection leader and uh and had some very high profile roles um and then you've had this other side to your life right which uh which uh has been evolving you're currently the ambassador for the australian new zealand mental health association um and you've really evolved into this new human being right and there's a bit in the middle there so mate i might get you just to unpack for the audience a little bit more color to that and we'll dig into it I appreciate you skipping over the bit in the middle because yeah. it's probably the uh, it's it's the bit that you know most people probably wouldn't want to talk about, but it but it is the part that defines mm. the the second half or perhaps the third third of my uh, mm. of my life. You know, it's it's a highlights and a lowlights tour. I did uh, I, I did work for the Australian Federal Police for eighteen years. It was it was a great career, a great place to work. I was fortunate enough to run the Prime Minister's Protection Team by the time I was thirty. Uh, and a short time after that, I also ran the Commissioner's Office as the Executive Officer and. It was a career and it was a, a a job that, you know, was beyond my wildest dreams. As a kid, I grew up in Western Sydney. It was a bit of a hard knocks type of place. And, and I ended up doing things that the kids where I grew up just didn't get an opportunity to do. And, mm. um, you know, it was it was fantastic. There, there was there was nothing about it um, from the outside that, that was, um, uh, you know, that wasn't spectacular. I enjoyed it. I rose very quickly. And to most people around me, my family, my friends and co-workers, I was, I was very successful. Mm. Um, you know, I suppose it does come into the title of the book, Externally Bulletproof. Uh, to everybody looking in, I was bulletproof. Uh, I'd risen to the top. Uh, I had a good family, good friends. I had the house, the cars, you know, everything was working out for me. Um, but basically, internally, uh, I was brittle. Uh, I was breaking down. Uh, I was battling a major depressive disorder. And I say I was silently battling a major depressive disorder. I was silently battling it from myself as well. I, I masked that for 10 years from me. Mm. I also had a gambling addiction. Uh, I had I'd been a gambler for you know a, a long time, you know, growing up in Western Sydney, nothing uh, outrageous, but it was a part of part of my lifestyle. But over those 10 years where the depression took over and I was looking for an escape, gambling became that escape. And Ultimately, the last, uh, you know, well, that 10 year period, I lost $2 million gambling. Uh, I lost a lot more than that. I lost my career. Uh, I lost my reputation. Um, and I, I was very seriously considering the value of my own life at the end of that period. Uh, at the end of that, I, I, I uh, made some very silly mistakes on my work credit card. I uh, used it for things that I wasn't supposed to use it. And that ultimately led to the, uh, the destruction of my career. Had to follow a, a criminal path. I had to go down um the, the the path of you know getting lawyers and and representing in, in criminal court i did plead guilty to it um i did use the card for things that i wasn't supposed to uh primarily i ran out of the ability to control myself and i started to find excuses why things i was doing were justified and i just kept getting further and further down a deep dark hole mm-hmm. 
And eventually you have a come to Jesus moment and you get this option in life, whether or not you're going to decide to pick yourself up and try and move forward, or you're basically going to give in to the past and you're going to give in to the, uh, to the tough times and you're going to give in to those internal feelings that you've been struggling with. And, you know, it took a long time. That's not an instant that you have that decision to make or, or it's not an instant where it feels like the decision is made. I was probably sitting in that void for a year, two years after I lost my career and I was still getting worse and worse and deeper and deeper. And it wasn't until I started to really shift my perspective, shift my mindset and really look for a way out. Started to look for things that resonated with me. I didn't see, I didn't see me and anybody else that had struggled. You know, I was an alpha male. I was successful. I was at the top of my game. Everybody was looking at me saying, you know, look at this guy. This is the guy you want to be like. And I didn't see people like me struggling. Mm. So I didn't know what to do. And for 10 years, I hid it from myself because I didn't know what it was. So I, I, I barely could come to terms with it myself. I hid it from family and friends. And I realized if I was going to get out of it, I'm going to have to do it myself. Mm. And so I went away. I, I learned from, I worked with, and I studied under experts around the world. I knew if I could understand it, that I could fix it, mm. that I'm a problem solver by trade. And if I could understand it, I could fix it. So I looked into neuroscience. I looked into habit formation. I looked into psychology. I looked into peak performance. I looked into routines. And basically, on the back of a couple of years of some very hard work, uh, a lot of trial and error, a lot of pain, I eventually found a place that I felt successful. I finally found a purpose. I found my passion for life again. And I actually found some peace from the noise that was going on in my head and you know, over the last five years, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to take that and actually transplant it into other people's lives, especially high performers that are struggling, uh, especially people that have reached a great level of success, but maybe don't have that fulfillment, uh, whether it's individually from a business level or even at teams. And that opened up an opportunity to be the amb an ambassador for the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. I get a chance to speak on mental health, on addiction, on peak performance, uh, and on success. And uh, it, it's been a fantastic ride the last five years. Um, you know, I, I don't say this flippantly, but, you know, as I mentioned, I lost $2 million, my career and my reputation, and it was almost the best thing that ever happened to me. I certainly didn't feel that at the time. And I'm not proud of some of the things that I did and uh, went through. But if I didn't, I also wouldn't be where I am today. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great place where I am today. Yeah, mate, you sound really fulfilled today. One of the things I, I was curious about, you know, we got talking about this the other day a little bit, but, you know, this this sense of addiction, right? You know, you're addicted to the gambling as you described it, right? But I'm wondering, as you've learned more about yourself, uh, you know, you study psychology and neuroscience side, and, and was there also, and I'd love to understand the addiction of other things around it that compound and support the whole ecosystem that you were in, right? Like I, you mentioned before, you're the alpha male and you mentioned, um, you know, that sense that people looked up to you. Was there a sense of needing to create, keep that facade, that sense of I'm addicted to that and I'm also addicted to this? Um, how did it play out? Yeah, look, I, it, it took a lot of soul searching. Um, for 10 years, I battled a gambling addiction. I, I, I did what I considered trying to solve the problem I saw in the mirror. And the problem I saw in the mirror was a gambling addiction. Mm. And I was quite successful at solving that problem and would go for six months at a time without gambling. And uh, But every time I would find myself falling deeper and deeper back in a hole mm. after that six-month period. And eventually I had to look a little deeper and, and I started to wonder whether it was the depression that was forcing me down or, or taking me down the gambling path. Mm. So gambling became my escape. Mm. And in reality, what I was addicted to was the escape. Mm. But eventually, I had to even look further than depression. It wasn't an escape from the depression. It was actually an escape from my ego. Mm. And I talk about this not being a beat your chest, I'm the best type of ego, but a protectionist type of ego, uh, especially for high performers, especially for alpha personalities. Being vulnerable is very difficult. Mm. And so, uh, you know, as I said, I classed myself as a problem solver. But if I had a problem, and I couldn't solve it, that went against everything that I knew about my own identity. Mm. And so you're right, the addiction becomes to being that person, uh, being the problem solver, being the alpha, being someone that's not vulnerable. Uh, the addiction becomes in protecting that version of the ego. Mm. 
and ultimately you use I, I ended up using and other people use distractions to escape from confronting the thing that I needed to confront, which was that vulnerability. And people will escape into, you know, I escaped to gambling, but people will do it to drinking, they'll do it to to drugs, some people to laziness. Mm. We've also got people that do, you know, destination addiction. You know, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I have a holiday. I'll be happy when I get the promotion. I'll be happy when I get that relationship. Yeah. All an escape and all a, all a, a chance to uh, to not confront the thing that is most uncomfortable in their life, and ultimately it leads to uh, being unfulfilled. And the longer you're unfulfilled, and the further you're away from your own purpose, the deeper and deeper you're going to get. And uh, if you if you're up high, it's a long fall. I feel you because I think you know I talk to friends all the time, you know, and, and myself. I, you've been through these moments where. You know, this sense of depression or sense of, you know, uh, lack of clarity and who you are and why, why you're doing something, and then you tighten it up and you sharpen it up and you you work through these things. But um, but I I I tie into that piece you, you know, you shared before about depression. You know, what what is it in your world? Like, what is the definition? What was depression for you? What did that look like? Look, the the best analogy that I can come up with is, imagine hugging your children, the people that you are supposed to love the most and not want to be anywhere near that hug yeah, well. that you want to be nowhere near the people that you're supposed to love the most. Mm. That is an indelible mark on my brain. I, I vividly remember having that thought mm. and it was closer to the end of that 10 year period that I started to recognize that something deeper was wrong. Um, I didn't know what it was and I certainly didn't know what to do about it. Mm. But in one of those moments, I, I knew something was wrong. That's pretty confronting. I, I don't know. It's it's horrendous. I I don't know how else to describe the feeling. And every time, you know, every time I even share that that piece, it it gets to me. It's going um, and you know, it, it doesn't matter whether it, you know, for me at the time it was um, it, it was it was children in my life. Um, but it doesn't matter if it's your parents. It doesn't matter if it's your partner. And these people that you are supposed to be with and supposed to love and want to love and do love, mm. but you don't want to spend time with them or you don't want to be in their embrace. Yeah. Uh, it's a, there are not many worse feelings that I've had. Yeah. I hate dwelling on it, but I think there's so much in, in, in this conversation for a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I, I feel it's a privilege to talk about it with you, mate. So I, I thank you for being open and, to some degree, I feel uncomfortable asking some questions, but it's okay. I, that's my vulnerability coming out. But I, I, I look, I, I just look at it and you know, intellectually, I'm looking, well, fuck you, you, you've got this, this feeling, and right? then you've got this compounding kind of chase for escapism, and then you you make a decision to grab the credit card. Right? Like, what what did that feel like? What was happening? It's difficult to to paint a picture of that because. You know, when, when you start talking about a decision, ultimately everything is a decision. You know, yeah. where we end up in life is, is all as a product of our decisions and our actions uh, yeah. that we take. And certainly there's a moment that you make a decision. Um, but the depths that I got to happened over an 18 month period. Mm. It, it's not a matter of grabbing the credit card once, yeah, so swiping it. Mm. Um, and you know, things that probably justifiable at the start and there is, there is a legitimate use and, and excuse, I suppose, or reason. Uh, you start to build on those and you start to create reasons in your own mind why you're justified to do the things that that you're doing. You know, in my mind, and, and you know, it was completely wrong. It was completely made up. Um, it was a complete fabrication to survive, basically. And, and they were things like, you know, I was working long hours and overtime that I didn't think I was getting paid for. So it would come out in the wash or I'd go on a trip. And if I used my money, I was able to take some back. And, and it sort of, again, it would even itself out over time. Mm -hmm. And they were all lies. You know, there's no doubt that they were all lies, but they're the lies that people tell themselves when they're struggling. And they're the lies that everybody tells themselves when they promise that they're going to start a fitness campaign on the Monday mm -hmm. and they get stuck on Wednesday and stop doing it or they find some other excuse why they're going to do something wrong to their partner, or they're going to do something, you know, that, that they wouldn't ordinarily do. Yeah. They're the same lies that we tell ourselves, um, you know, in all manners of life. It's just that for me over a 10 year period, those lies have to get deeper and darker. And, you know, you have to, uh, you know, you can imagine the web that has been created over a 10 year period of sliding down that hill. Mm. Uh, eventually, you know, looking back on them now, they're 
they're almost laughable, some of the lies that you will tell yourself and mm. believe. Mm. But it didn't seem that way at the time when all you're doing is trying to survive. And that's the that's the neuroscience of the of the of the um of the equation. Yeah. You know, it's survival. It, it it sounds odd, but the brain doesn't know any different. It's trying to survive and it needs its next hit. For me, the escape was gambling. It doesn't matter if it's drugs. Again, laziness, ice cream. I don't care what it is, but it needed it needed that to survive. There's a protectionism in it. Yeah. It's um yeah, thank you for sharing that. I I I look at where you are now and I say, well, clearly there had to be some ownership of that problem, right? You talked about problem solving. You looked at that um and to untangle from that survival mechanism and you know, you've had to really work on that. What's what are the what are the building blocks like? What are the things that move you through the phases of going from that deep place, that dark place, to a just a bright, you know, this this positive energy you bring to the world now? Yeah, look, I've been very lucky to be able to synthesize it down. I mean, it took me a long time to figure it out. Uh, as I said, a lot of trial and error, a lot of pain, a lot of destruction, um, and even being able to look back over the ten year period of depression and the gambling addiction. You're able to see some signs that if you actually pack some things together, you can you can pull out a system that works. Mm. And as I said, I was a successful guy going through all this. In fact, I was probably my most successful um, in life in my career to the external world, whilst I was at my most broken, which yeah. is which is very uh, which is very odd to talk about. But something that I, I've discovered is quite common as well. Mm. People that are at the top of their game are often as broken as they can be. And they're doing all they can to survive and they have that one outlet which is their sport uh, their career their business their family whatever it happens to be and, mm. and that's where they excel but i was able to synthesize it down to you know i mean i, I call them three basic steps um you know they, they, they take a bit of work they take a bit of ownership they yeah. take a bit of brutal honesty um but primarily it, it's creating a compelling uh, a conscious and a clear vision of the future mm. um too many times people that are struggling are living in the past, whether it's past successes, whether it's past failures, whether it's past events, past traumas that they're holding on to. Mm. And primarily the brain will move towards that which uh, gives it the most energy. Mm. And if you don't create a compelling enough and a conscious enough vision of the future, then your mind has no reason to look forward. Mm. All it's got is the most compelling part of your life is behind you. And so all it will do is keep you back there. Yeah. So you have to create that, right? Like that's not something that just arrives. You don't go and find it. You you actually have to create it, put in some work. Put the work in. Yeah. The second part is to to renovate your internal alignment, renovate your current state, renovate uh, your thought process, and that is taking a look at your past mm. and really starting to own which parts of it you have responsibility for. Mm. Um, quick tip: it's all of it. Yeah. Uh, you have the responsibility for all of your past. Uh, you have the responsibility for how you responded, how you reacted. Um, and also to take a look at your present. Most people that that want to move forward are very scared about opening up the books and seeing exactly where they're at right now, yep. whether it's with their health, whether it's with their finances, whether their relationships, or even with their mental health. Um, people want to move forward, but they don't want to do the examination it takes to figure out where you are. And you know, I liken this to your, your Google Maps. You know, you can put in the destination if you like, but if you don't know where you're starting from, Google Maps is not going to show you how to get there. Yeah. So you have to actually know where you're coming from uh, in order to move forward. And the last step is to create uh, a, a strategy and a system uh, with a proven process. There are people that have been there before and have done this. There are people that have got out of struggles before. Mm. They might not be your exact struggles, but they've got out of struggles before, or they found success before, or they've hit high performance before. And there is a system to getting there. And yours might be a little bit more custom to you in nuance and maybe in in the terms that you use. Yep. But primarily, it's all the same. It's build yourself a process. It's practice it daily. It's be persistent. And then it's have patience. If mm. you don't stick to it long enough, uh, you're not going to make it anywhere. If you follow those three steps, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're bouncing off rock bottom or even if you're on the edge of greatness and you're just flatlining a little bit. Those three steps will get you to the next level, no mm. matter no matter where you're at. Couldn't agree more. It's interesting because it, it reflects the the framework and the philosophy I bring to culture change, right? You're yep. looking at a group of people as opposed to one individual Correct. shifting from a certain behavior or old habits or old past, you know, uh, biases or priorities and, and to new priorities. And, and that compelling vision piece is so important in that experience, in my in my view. But, you know, if I go back to, to yourself and I, and I kind of dived into groups, but I, I suppose before I do look at that, I, I'd love to 
to a more practically go, well, okay, there's that habit building stage, right? You can paint the future. Yep. You got to get clear on that. And then it's, it's the hard work, you know, it's like, okay, I have this past thing that keeps popping up in my brain. Yep. Uh, I'm trying and I'm looking at that future, but that was pretty easy to think about that. Um, what did that look like for you? What were some of the habits you tried to build early on? Just, yeah, what did it look like in terms of its, its rollout for you? The simple fact is that most people don't keep promises to themselves. Mm. People, a lot of people lack self-confidence and self-confidence is nothing more than keeping promises to yourself. Mm. And most people don't keep them to themselves. Uh, whether or not they say they're going to go to the gym at 6 a.m., even if they go at 12 p.m., they broke the promise to go at 6 a.m. Mm. They say they're going to save $50. They say they're not going to have a drink. They say they're going to invest in some education and they wait, they put it off, they delay it. Mm. Most people have lost the habit of keeping promises to themselves. Mm. And what we try and do is we try and use something like a, a New Year's resolution, something that's big. We put, we post it on social, uh, social media and say, this is this big, bold thing that I'm going to achieve this year. Mm. Except you've lost confidence in your ability to keep promises to yourself. It doesn't sound sexy. It's not something that gets up in flashing lights. But in reality, you have to rebuild the confidence you have in keeping promises. For me, it started with getting up 15 minutes earlier. That's all it was. I knew I couldn't, I, I, I'd read and I'd learned that if you try and, and I, I might get the statistics wrong, it makes sense to me. If you try and change three habits at one time, mm. you are a 90% chance of failing. If it's two habits at one time, it's a 60% chance to fail. But if you try and change one thing and, and you just stick to that one thing, it's almost a 90% chance of success. Yep. And I wanted to use some of that in what I was doing. So all I did was say to myself, I'm just going to get up 15 minutes earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I, when I coach people, the first thing I coach most of them to do is don't hit snooze for a week. Um, a lot of my clients hit snooze. Some people don't. I didn't. So mine was to, to, uh, to get up 15 minutes earlier. As soon as I did that and that became part of my routine, I could tick off the fact that I've started to keep promises to myself. Mm. I started to win my day. I didn't set a promise to myself to stop gambling. I didn't set a promise to myself to get 10% body fat. I didn't set some real great promise. I still wanted to do some of those things. But if I got up 15 minutes early, I won the day. I could start to build some momentum. Mm. I could start to build some faith in my ability to keep a promise. So the next week, I added something to that. I drank 500 mils of water. Uh, the week after that, I started writing one gratitude every morning. The week after that, I started cold showers. Now, it doesn't actually matter what the things are. Mm. Predominantly, most of the things you build into your morning or into your, your, your habits are going to be things that are probably going to move you forward in life. Mm -hmm. But what, you, what I was doing was building a process of keeping promises to myself. Yeah. And eventually, there's a, there's a theory in, in research called a healthy user bias um, I've bastardized it a little bit, but primarily when you start to do one thing that is in your interest or has you moving forward or is positive in your life, your reticular activating system in your brain will search out for more things to do. Mm. And most people will know if you start exercising, even if you don't want to change your diet, you tend to change your diet. Mm. Uh, you tend to sleep better. You tend to drink more water because once you start doing one positive thing, your brain and your body wants to find more things to do. Yeah. You, you are signaling to yourself that this is important. And so I just built it that way. I yeah. built it step by step from the ground up. That gave me some confidence that when I did make a big step, I actually had an ability to follow it through. And ultimately on the back of five years of, of doing that, I mean, it started with 15 minutes a day. That was it. Yeah. It's amazing. It's such a, it's a powerful story. And I think it's, um, you know, that idea of keeping promises to yourself, you know, for me, um, I think that can be hard to manage if it is overcomplicated. And often what I uh, think about myself, and I wonder, I'd love your feedback on this, is this idea of a forcing function to support that. So some sort of system, some something that catalyzes my behavior to keep doing that thing. Because I know that if I if I have that in place, that will also reinforce the, the value system that I might have. So for example, with me, I know that, um, you know, I have the alarm go off to get to the gym, which I promised myself I would do. And then, you know, I'll have certain people that I might meet there because that's going to increase the likelihood of that, you know, that to happen because mm. all of these functions support one another to, to drive that behavior. Did you, you know, as you started to mature through that process, as you started to go from that 15 minutes to slightly more sophisticated versions of who you became or who you are today, what are some of the, the sort of more systematic things that you've done that, to help you evolve? 
Yeah, again, a lot of the things that I do now came down to the research and, yeah. and you know, primarily the people that I follow. There's research in almost every category. You yeah. could probably find research to support whatever it was that you wanted to do. But, yeah. you know, the people that I looked up to and the people that, that I wanted to um, follow or emulate or learn from, um, it seems quite obvious to me that there are some things that are almost ubiquitous in success. Mm. Now, whether or not that is success as a father, success in business, success in sport, there seems to be some things that a lot of those people tend to do. And for me, it was really trying to, you know, almost show the people I was moving towards uh, that I was like them or that I was going to be like them. I mean, I created a journal and and a tick and flick box. Um, you know, gamifying the world seems to be where, you know, where the world is going. So when I won the day, my, my journal has in week one, one thing in it. And it was get up for 15 minutes. Now, my first journal was just a, a notepad. I now actually have a journal that does it, yeah. but there is literally one tick box. Yeah. And I tick it. So if I get up at 4.30 in the morning, I tick that box. All of a sudden, I get my first bit of momentum for the day. You and get first going. dopamine hit. You first dopamine something. hit straight yeah, away, right? Yeah. And I've also won the day. Actually, it's got two tick boxes. It's uh, uh, my, my morning promise and then win the day. Yeah. Right. Once I've done my first promise, I get to tick win the day. I feel good. I get to go into the day with some momentum. Um, so I tried to gamify it, but I did find that, you know, again, there are things that successful people do. Stacking gratitude is one of them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's almost, um, uh, it's almost necessary for me to have that gratitude in there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, a but a different way, I look at gratitude in a different way. I always try to find ways to be grateful for the, the shit in my life, to be honest, um, you know, the things that have gone wrong, not just the fact that it's a sunny day and I live in a great country and, and all that, and also to attach some sort of meaning to it. Yeah. Um, and then I tried to create a flow. I tried to look at things that I was doing, things that I wanted to do. Again, the things that were backed by science. So, you, you know, your cold showers or your cold plunges. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, an active guy. I, I grew up, um, you know, in the fitness world. Um, I got a degree in health science. So, you know, exercise and movement was also an important part of that, that factor. Um, but primarily I'm, I was an individual beast. I didn't really mind what other people were doing. I, I, you know, I was at that moment in time, I was so desperate to save myself yeah. that I had zero interest in anybody else. Mm. It was, what do I need to do to survive? Yeah. yeah. And gradually over time, I started to be able to gamify that started to be able to focus it towards how I wanted my morning to run and primarily take care. You know, I heard again, another one of the guys I follow says, if you book end of start and the end of your day with control, the middle seems to take care of itself. And mm. I just wanted to do those things. I wanted, I looked at people that, that, you know, Tony Robbins says success leaves clues. I was trying to find those clues everywhere I could. And I put them together to create a system that worked. Yeah. It's, um, I think success does leave clues and you use, you shared something before was like, a you know, that idea that sort of success is, success is subjective, you know, whether you decide it's, you know, you as a father or you as a sports person or whatever, I, I find that really interesting. And, and I look at your story because it's interesting. You, you, it's almost like a renovation, right? Yeah. You're like, you, you, arguably you were a knockdown rebuild. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, not everyone on this that's listening to this will, will potentially be that. But I, one thing I do believe is that everyone is growing towards something to trying to become something different, more meaningful uh, outcomes in their life, um, more connection with their self, more, more results in their business, you know, being a better mum, better dad, whatever it is, right? Yep. There's always something going yep. on. Um, and, and, you know, part of it, that in my experience is accepting there are a lot of good things yeah. about who you are in the first place. And, and, you know, when I hear your story of that sort of knockdown rebuild kind of mindset, what did you keep from the old days and, and, and how did you then, you know, and, and potentially if you can intersect this in the story, I'd love to hear how that plays out with some of your clients, right? But your, your story first, you know, what, it, although you felt these negativity about who you were in the past, yep. what did you hold on to? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There is a, a very small part of the book that I write called don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. And, you know, primarily, primarily the people that I work with, but, um, you know, but everybody has a level of success in their life. Um, and you don't have to hit rock bottom in order to go through any change process or growth process or, or anything like that. Um, but I spent the best part of 40 years of my life being very successful in most areas in my life. There was really only one area that I let myself down. Mm. 
And so it wouldn't make sense for me to totally throw out everything that uh, that went by in, in that successful phase. Mm. And, you know, when I looked back at, at what made me successful um, in my in my previous life, some of those things were still highly relevant in mm. being successful in any part of life. Mm. And, and they were things like discipline, relationships, emotional intelligence, uh, education, and, and, you know, and not just formal education, but actually opening yourself up to, to learning more about places and people and where you're going. Uh, they were connections, uh, and they were, they were hard work. Um, those things have, have kept me going or have actually been the backbone of the next phase, uh, of my success. Um, to be honest, even some of the things that were potentially negative in the past, like being able to compartmentalize some parts of my life. Uh, and for a long time, I compartmentalized the uh, the damage uh, the mental health was doing to me. Mm-hmm. But being conscious about how you compartmentalize your life is very beneficial, especially to me and moving forward. Mm. You know, there are elements that, you know, being a man, being a, being a husband, being a father, there are times when I need to do certain things in my family environment, in my business environment, in my my training environment that don't need me curled up in a ball in the corner, mm. sobbing and sulking. Mm. There are other times in my life where that's totally acceptable. Mm. But finding a way to compartmentalize those consciously allows me to deal with each of them in the moment that they require and, and the way that they require to be dealt with. Mm. So a lot of those things and a, and and a lot of the coaching that I do for people a lot of the work that we do builds on the skills that you already have. Mm. You have the skills to be successful. You've used the skills to be successful. This isn't about, you know, it, it's a knockdown rebuild, but it's probably a gutting and a, and a you know, and a refurbishment yeah, okay. as opposed to a knockdown and rebuild. You know, we want to use the facade that we've got. With all the, you know, maybe facade is not the right word in this context, yeah. but, you know, we want to use, um, you know, the structure that we have. We want to use the things that have served us well. And some of the things that haven't served us well, if we shift our focus and shift our perspective of them, can actually be very positive things for the next bit. Yeah, I I love that. I, I talk to my young bloke about this all the time, right? You know, he's like, oh, it's, it's hard learning maths. I said, well, you learned to walk at one point. That's it. Yeah, that was pretty hard before yeah. you knew how to do it. And, and it sounds, it's such a simple sort of story, but I, I, I think people underestimate how much they can bring to the table that already is very valuable when they're evolving. And, you know, in high achievement environments, I, I think there's this... People are high achievers in different walks of their own life. So I think for anyone listening, this, whatever your thing is, yep. I'd love to you to sort of tap into that when you're sharing this, yeah, yeah, Gary. When you're working with people around performance change at an individual level, you know, what do you need to look for? What do you try and help them do when it comes to that strength and then that opportunity to reframe, you know, the problem or the thing holding them back? Yeah, look, I think reframe is a is a is the most appropriate word there. And, and you're right. Look, I I don't and one of my problems in the past was attaching the word success or high performance to particular fields, mm. be it sport or business, or primarily, you know, if, if we don't see somebody's names up in lights, we don't think they're high performers. Mm. But there are high performers everywhere in this world. There are high performing dads, there are high performing mums, there are high performing um sons and daughters, brothers, friends. Uh, they're high-performing sports athletes that don't ever get their name in the paper. There's high-performing business people. Um, it doesn't really matter what field you're in. You can be a high performer. The first thing that helps people move forward is perspective mm. and recognizing, you know, I, I think Shakespeare is responsible for this quote. It's, it's, there is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Mm. And if you can shift your perspective there is almost no circumstance that doesn't have some level of positiveness to it. Almost none. And I've been through some pretty horrific uh, things in my life. I've seen some pretty horrific things. Um, there is almost nothing that doesn't have a level of positivity to it, mm. even if that thing is only your ability to be become more resilient. Mm. And I think if people are able to shift their perspective, then they can achieve almost anything that they want. Because their story is vitally important and the perspective that they put on that story will determine where they end up. Yeah. I, I, I was talking to a mate of mine who recently, you know, and this, this will resonate with a lot of people, you know, looking at frustrated with their job, frustrated with the situation they're in. And there's that story of the, well, what happens on the other side? Do I know enough about it? Am I going to be successful on the other side? And that, 
you know, in my my experience for for a lot of people, hold them back. Um, you know, what have you seen when you look at some of the people? What what's a story that you might share? Someone you've worked with, or just something where you've gone, geez, that reframe really unlocked. What was what was their story? What's a version of that you've noticed where you go, that was super powerful. I saw something really shift. I think one of the things that I recognize a lot with the people I coach is, you know, back back to those three steps, that middle one of really understanding where they're at yeah. and what they want. And the reframing probably is it's probably something that most people never consider. It's it may not even be a reframing. It mm. may be the first frame mm. uh, that they have. High performers are naturally geared to just do more and want more. Mm. And there's a there's a great quote from an American monk, is what he's called, Thomas Merton, that says, uh, people will spend their whole lives climbing a ladder only to realize once they're at the top, the ladder was against the wrong wall. Mm. And high performers will often just get on that ladder. Now, again, this you know, this depends on your definition of high performers, but I've worked with people who are electricians because their dad was an electrician and that was the family business. Mm. And they're now 40 and they're miserable and they don't want to you know, continue on, but they don't know how to get away from the thing that they've done their whole life. Mm. And reframing what is important to you, what success looks like. And, and again, we all have a preconceived idea of what success looks like. Before we started this podcast today, if, I, if you ask the audience, what does success look like? I guarantee you that probably within a very small degree, they would paint a very similar picture of what success looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's somebody, you know, in the paper on the front page of a magazine, X amount of dollars, sports has this sort of relationship. That, that perspective of what success looks like is creating more miserable and more unfulfilled people than anything else in history. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's buoyed by our social media and it's buoyed by Instagram photos and all of those sorts of things. But the minute that you can reframe what success looks like and start to identify what success looks like for you, mm. doesn't matter whether you're an individual, it doesn't matter whether you're a company, it doesn't matter whether you're a team. If you can reframe what success looks like for you and it's genuine and it fits your purpose, then you are going to find fulfillment far easier than follow with climbing the ladder up a wall that you don't know why you've even put it there in the first place. Mm. As you say, and I was reflecting on some stories from my own life, and you know, I think there's been some false uh, measures of success in, in my own time. And you know, when I look at early stages, I, I, I tried to be good at sport, and I was chasing this idea of, well, when I get picked in this team and when I get this award, it will, it will all be better. Yeah, you know, this attachment to something and destination the, addiction the destination right and you get there you know well, what now well, yeah. i suppose eventually you know not embracing and not having passion for the process and the experience and and just the the things that make up your day-to-day life for me that's that's what i've really learned from that you know that time was just like you know what what were you chasing you know you got to the got to a point and 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 it didn't really mean anything and and that hence i stopped doing it right so yeah. pulled out and yeah, wasn't sure and sort of had to go through some stages of reflection. But is you know, it, it, what is it that you know when you when you really unpack it with people, where what are some of the features or the pillars of success that people often land on that are, are more fulfilling, that are more sustainable? What do you what do you commonly hear? There's a quote that says, "The man who loves to walk will go further than the man who loves the destination," mm. and that might be what you're describing in yeah. in you know in in your own life and and in all of our lives. And to be fair, these are still things that I do in my life, right? We all still see shiny things, and we we want shiny things, right? We want we want good things for our family. We want money. We want more. We want a better holiday, and all of those things. Nothing is wrong with wanting those things, mm. and they're enjoyable when you get them. The problem with having the destination as the sole goal is you are when you arrive, you're left with two questions. Is this it and what's next? Mm-hmm. There's very short amount of time left uh, you know, that you put aside to feel fulfilled about that activity. And I often talk to my clients and I often talk a lot about falling in love with the process. It's okay to have a destination. It's okay to have your goal and you should have goals and they should be big ass goals as well. Mm-hmm. But you also have to detach from that goal and start to be accountable to the process. People are fulfilled, filled, I suppose, internally filled when they start doing things that matter to them, when they start doing things that create self-respect. Self-respect is doing things that you respect. Mm. Showing up, 
keeping promises to yourself, being accountable to the process. They are internally fulfilling activities mm -hmm. that once you reach the goal, you can, you can look back over a journey. Um, you know, if you go to university, you get a certificate at the end. The certificate is not the recognition. Mm -hmm. The certificate is not the, the outcome. It's not the celebration. The certificate is merely recognition of the success. You know, when you win a grand final in rugby league, the grand final is not the success. It is recognition of the success. And the success was everything that you put in up to that point. And so I really think that when you start to do things that are fulfilling, when you start to meet some of those practices in daily life, you start to, you, you end up reaching your goal far sooner, but you don't even recognize that you're there because you're in love with the process. Mm -hmm. And those people will end up going further, feeling more, being happier, being more fulfilled in their life. And, you know, it's it, it sounds simple, but when you've been trained to chase a goal for your whole life, when you've been uh, trained to and conditioned to try and find the next Lamborghini that you can take a photo in front of, mm. it's very difficult to let go of that. And it, and it becomes a retraining exercise. Yeah. You're, uh, well, it's the, uh, the, the, uh, the positive addiction. It seems yeah. like it's, it's harmless until it is. Yeah. Um, or harmful. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was just thinking about something you're describing there as part of that journey. You know, one of the things for me, I, uh, I, there was a point in time where I would hate writing reports, content, information. I just, if you said, just explain it to me, I'd be the happiest man in the world. And I'd shake your hand and say, the job's done. And we'd be, we'd be off and going, but unfortunately that's part of doing business. Right. Yeah. And it's something that particularly in the days when we were a bit smaller, um, I found myself doing a lot. And, and one of the things that someone taught me, and I wonder, I'd love your opinion on this is to reframe that as a privilege of the, you know, the process to do the things that you love doing. Right. It's like, see that discipline of doing stuff that you maybe don't, get out of bed to do in the morning as as an opportunity to be better or an opportunity to, to get that um those experiences that you need in life and for me now i i've you know the idea of reports now more of a creative exercise i've tried to reframe it to see it as something that expresses an idea in a positive way or touches that part of an experience with my customers and my clients in, a, in an interesting way mm. so you know how how does that discipline around or the the way we look at a process or a task matter in the big scheme of things well there's probably a couple of ways to look at this and one of these is getting again is getting very conscious and very clear about your vision of the future and about your purpose in life first thing is if it doesn't have a purpose then it doesn't have a place mm. and if you can remove things from your life that don't have a purpose that don't meet your values that don't move you towards your values uh then or you're going to be you shouldn't be doing it right yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you shouldn't be doing it and look we all do but yeah, the, the, le the, the less of those things that you can do, uh, the easier your life is going to be. Mm. The second thing is to create a narrative around the thing that you may not like doing and how it fits into that purpose. Uh, if you want to win a grand final, you have to get up at six in the morning and go training, whether you like it or not. Mm. Now, do you want to win the grand final enough? Then you, you come back to that process. Is it really part of something that, that you want? Is it really part of your purpose? Or... Perhaps if it's challenging, it's time to start getting brutally honest about whether that thing is actually something that's going to fulfill you. Mm. Um, if it is, if you've decided that your purpose is to, uh, you know, create a great business and part of that is is the reports or the, the writing tasks, then the thing you have to do, I, I, I got this from James Clear in, in his book, Atomic Habits, you have to create a story about who you are that does those things. So he talks about it in writing, in, literally in writing sense. Mm. You know, it's not about um, it's not about forcing yourself to write. It's about changing your identity to become a writer. Mm. You know, if you're a writer, what do writers do? They write. You know, now you don't change your identity purely by thought. You have to change it by action. So it might be, you know, I, I talk to people about doing something and that's large enough that moves the needle but small enough that you will continue doing it. Mm. So it might be writing five minutes a day. Mm. Um, you know, it, it really does come down to your identity and we all control our own identity. If you shift your identity, you said you shifted your identity to, to see these tasks as being creative, your creative outlet, mm. right? This is a story. This is an identity. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of people that do things that they don't want to do, but the things they're doing are part of their identity. They're part of the story they're telling themselves. And, uh, you know, I don't know, do you smoke? No, 
So if I offered you a smoke, what would you say? No, thanks. Right, because you don't smoke. That's not part of your identity. Mm. This is exactly the same for the positive things. Mm. You know, if I asked you, do you write? Oh, I don't really like writing. Well, clearly you're going to not show up for that. If I ask you if you write and you're right, yeah, I'm a writer. Yeah, I love it. It's my great, it's my creative outlet. It's my opportunity to put, you know, the stuff in my head on a piece of paper and get, get it out there to the world. And then all my businesses can look at it and they can all grow from there. It sounds pretty exciting to me now, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like it's the same activity. Yeah. It's getting you towards the same goal, but, but purely the story that you tell yourself about it is, is how you're going to show up for it. Yeah. And you've, you, you know, you've done your research on this and, and, and plenty around, uh, the study to not only build yourself, but the work you do today, what, what's the chemical relationship with that? What's, what's happening in the body when you start to talk differently to yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in reality, what, what you're starting to do is, especially if you start coming back to that process driven, you know, and we always talk about dopamine, uh, and we talk about dopamine as being a motivational tool to get us towards a goal. Um, but, but the true version of motivation is actually, uh, to drive you to do the activity leading up to the goal, mm. not necessarily the goal itself. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't recall the study, but there's a, there's a study in rats where, um, you know, they, they took the dopamine receptor out of their brain and those rats wouldn't move one body length to get, I'm going to say sugar, but it was probably heroin, um, out of a, out of a drink, right? If they, if they left the dopamine in these, these rats would do whatever they needed to, but it was in the journey. Um, it wasn't in the destination. It mm. wasn't in the heroin or sugar water or whatever it was. Mm. And so reframing again, our use of dopamine to say that it is about the motivation of getting up and doing something, not achieving. It's actually not about the achieving. That's where we, that's where we attach it to. We attach mm. it to the achievement, mm. but it's actually about the doing. So if you can start to build uh, again, the accountability in the doing, in the steps, in the process. Mm. If you can attach little goals to that process, uh, even if it's just a tick box that says, I did this today, and you give yourself a little, little bit of a, you know, a reward on that, on that process, small rewards over a longer period of time are going to lead to far more success than the, uh, than the desire to hit one large, uh, dopamine release in three years time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when you just reflect on anyone's story, you, you can see it in these little patterns. If you go back, there's like clues, right? You talked yeah. about it before. I'm going to change gears a little bit and, and, and purely because I you used the term before being brutally honest. Um, and I'd love, like, I think you're one of those guys, you're honest, right? So I, I'm going to ask this question just to purely see where you're at now and, and what that means to you being brutally honest. Like sure. in the, in the, in the recent, times we're in now last month or two what's the most or what's the most recent example for you of being brutally honest with yourself probably the most recent time was towards the end of last year mm. um around novemberish maybe december and i realized that i wasn't doing the things that i say i'm going to do um you know i got out of my habits i started to get lazy i started to let myself off the hook for one or two things and it started to show. I started to be uh, a little, a little more down at home. Uh, I started to be a little less active. I did start to put on a little more weight. Um, I, I started to disengage from relationships. Uh, and, you know, it, it, that might have been coming for a month, two months. It, it could have even been coming longer. Uh, but the, the process that I've, I've built, which has a very short weekly reflection, but certainly a monthly reflection, um, allowed me to pick up the fact that you know, you, you're not doing what you say you do. And, mm. um, you know, it's, it's irrelevant what you say you're going to do. The only thing that matters is what you do. And, mm. um, you know, that was, you know, I, I actually got a bit, I got down for a couple of days. I, you know, I, I, I really got down because I wasn't doing the things that I said I was going to do. Mm. And once I recognized that I got even further down because it was like, well, you're supposed to be this guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah what, what are you doing? Right. right. Like you, your whole life's a lie. You're just going to end up back where you were before. Right. We, we all face that. We all, we all have those moments of melancholy. Mm. Um, you know, we, we all have those dips. Um, but I went back to first principles. I went back to what works. And I actually, at the start, January 1, I started my, I, the journal I've got, I call the four play. It's four weeks before you should, uh, you know, you should do this for four weeks before you start any major change. And I went back to, to day one. I mm. did one promise for one day and ticked it off the list. And I, I went through it a little quicker because I wasn't that far removed from the promises. But, um, yeah, I went back to the start. Uh, I went back to where I was. Um, I've built on that four, four week system now and created a nine week system, um, for myself and, and a couple of clients that, that choose to do it. 
Um, but yeah, I went back to building a process. Yeah, wow. I, I, I did the process. I knew the process worked. And I examined where it went wrong. I, I examined the fact that there was some people. We went on a holiday in September. I got a little lazy after the holiday. Mm. And by November, December, it had, it had crept its way back in. I was nowhere near the depths that I was, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, yeah. of course. But I, I promise you, if I didn't do anything for the next 10 years, I'm pretty sure I would have been. The self-awareness piece you talked about, going, okay, here I am, and then I'm meant to be this guy in the public, and I'm letting myself slip takes a lot of uh, self-discipline, awareness of that, the ability to hold yourself accountable. But I'd imagine, and we haven't talked about this, Gary, so I'd love you you know, just to be open about it. Well, who holds, who else helps you be accountable? I mean, you're, you're doing it with clients. I know for me, yep. I've had my you know coach that I had for five years that really worked me through a lot of an evolution of who I needed to be, or who yep. I felt I needed to be. Um, yeah. Who, who helps you? Yeah. Look, uh, before I get to that, I just want to, I want to pick up on, on something you just said there. The, the term that I use that, that most people might, might find a little more relevant is you have to tend to the garden. Mm. Right. If, if, you know, a gardening analogy is something that most people understand, even if you don't like gardening. Mm. If you grow flowers and you don't tend to your garden, your flowers will die, but the weeds won't. If you don't tend to your garden, your weeds are ready to come back on you straight away. Mm. And if your flowers die, you actually have to replant flowers. Flowers don't regrow um, after six months of, of being dead. They don't regrow after a year of being dead. Mm. So you actually have to go back to the start and replant which is what I did in, in January, uh, even though, you know, again, my flowers probably weren't dead, but, you know, I, I wanted a better garden. Um, but if you don't tend to that garden, then the, the weeds will come back uh, and they'll overgrow and, and they'll, they'll take you down again. Um, who holds me accountable? Look, certainly I've built a very rigorous um, self-accountability process. Um, it did slip after our holiday, but, you know, that's something that won't happen again. But, you know, I, I build, I have... Um, you know, journals and, and, and documentation that, that I make sure that I, I go through. Um, I find that makes my week a lot easier, right? It makes my days a lot easier. Uh, it removes something that's called decision fatigue. You know, if I, if I know what I'm doing from day to day, I don't have to make the decision again. I know what's coming. Mm. Um, my family do. Uh, I'm very close to my wife uh, on this. She knows the things that I'm doing. Um, I know the things that she's doing. Um, this is not a taskmaster. You know, if you miss something, you don't have somebody slapping you on the wrist saying, hey, you missed this, you missed this. You know, it's, it's a very productive uh, and healthy relationship um, that you can have with somebody where you can be honest and say, hey, I've just noticed for a couple of days that you've, you know, you've, you've missed that. Or I actually, I noticed you've been withdrawing a little bit for a couple of days. Is there something that's, that's going on? And, um, you know, they're uncomfortable conversations. They're not ones that we love to have. And mm. perhaps we let them go for two or three days instead of day one, you know, but having people in your life that you can have those conversations with, uh, I have a coach as well. Uh, I have a few coaches. I, I don't know that I don't know there's any high performance people that don't have coaches in some field. Mm. Um, some are paid and some are unpaid, I suppose, or mentors or friends that we bounce things off. You know, you I have a lot of people in my life that you know, we will have conversations about how you're going or I'll say things are off and they ask me well, what's caused that or how does that show up in your life? So I've got a number of those, um, you know, those uh, fail safes, I suppose, that I put in, um, you know, just to make sure that I'm living the life that I want to be living and um, that I'm ticking off the things that are meaningful to me. I mean, I, I really have uh, stripped back a lot of the things in my life to to only engage with things that are most meaningful or that are leading me towards my purpose. And that makes life a lot simpler. Mm. And I'll be honest, it makes life a lot happier. Yeah. What, what have you stripped out? What's, what's, what's that look like? Yeah, look, I, I, probably a lot of friends. Yeah. Um, well, I say friends, but um, look, I lost a lot of friends that probably chose to give up on me um, or thought that it was a little too difficult to stay friends. Uh, certainly when, when I was you know, in the police, it's very difficult, I suppose, for police officers to be friends with someone that's going, you know, that's got criminal charges. So there's a lot of people I never heard from again. You know, so a lot of that got stripped away from me, um, you know, not of my choice, I suppose. But that was beneficial as well, because, you know, you realize that there's some people that pretend to be uh, value in your life that uh, perhaps were not, mm. which creates a lot more freedom for you to focus on the things that you want. Um, I'm very selective about the people I let in my life now that um, they, they they tend to uh, align with my values. They tend to align with my purpose. And, you know, there was a long time that I don't know that I even aligned with my own values and purpose. So, you know, that's important to me. Yeah. You know, even even people that are, were closest to me, 
uh, that are going down a different track and and you know me hanging around them was making me a worse person mm. uh, or certainly not helping me improve as a person um they just have to go it's not easy it's not pleasant you know there's there's, there's been some activities i don't gamble i mean that's, that's probably something that uh, that, that <laughs> went cut, yeah uh, you know I, I don't drink i i, I rarely drink i'm not a non-drinker but i rarely drink i mean it doesn't help me um it's not it's not helping me get to where I want to get to. But there are there are things like that 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 have removed from from my life that they're just not important. It's pretty cold cut, right? It's it's what's um and I'll you know I respect it, right? Like I I don't think there's anything the way you explain it though, I think for a lot of people there's they hold on to stuff, right? There's a story around like, okay, well if I cut that there's something going on there. Like, you know, my friend who's not particularly helpful for me, you know, brings me down, you know, and Maybe they work on it. Maybe they try to change it. Maybe they try to change that person. Um, but what the way you've explained it, you know, how how clean is that decision for you? Look, it's it's probably a lot easier for me now. Um, and and to be fair, they're probably not as it probably doesn't happen as cold as as I've described it. Mm. Um, the uh, you know certainly losing people from my policing past. Um, I mean that that just happened. Um, yeah. You know, people weren't returning my calls, or certainly wasn't getting the text messages that, that I was before. Yeah, uh, that was difficult to deal with, uh, and and you know, it took me down another dark hole. And you know, it starts to make you question your value in life if if people are dropping you and and uh, people aren't there for you, and you know, you you get some pretty dark thoughts around around that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, after a couple of years. You, you know, if you go through a process, you start to, you know, find gratitude and, and, and be grateful for some of those things that have happened as well. Look, the process for me is very simple. I mean, again, this may be getting back to something we said before, being decisive was something that that I, I built a career around, mm. um, you know, solving problems, uh, making decisions, acting quickly in, in a whole range of areas in, in the police force. And, you know, we, we might have talked about this the other day, the, the Latin origin to the word decide. Mm. Um, you know, it literally means the word the D, the de part means off and side means kill um you know we, we suicide homicide genocide the side part means kill yeah. so when you make a decision you are literally killing off all other alternatives my process for making decisions is to do all of the work all of the emotional turmoil that comes with decisions is to do it before i make the decision yeah. and once the decision's made i no longer need to go back and revisit that decision um most people will make a decision regret the decision, try and change the decision, try and make the decision fit their future life, which also is their past life, and they never actually move on from a decision that they made. It's usually because they haven't made a conscious decision. They've either made something that was, uh, they made a decision based around conditioning, based around their circumstances, or based around comfort. Mm. And ultimately, you know, people that were in my life and the things that were in my life that were enjoyable, there's not, these people aren't bad people and, and they weren't fun times, they just didn't serve where I was going, mm. um, and, and I, I don't know that I don't know that it is cold, um, you know, to, to be honest, because you know I didn't serve where they were going either. Like that's it's it's not this isn't just a me thing, mm. you know. Me being in their life wasn't serving their life any better, um, and, and so you're actually doing everybody a favor. You know, we could drag it out for another ten years and we'd both be miserable in a you know in a hole in the ground, or we can just call it what it is you know, shake hands, say it was fantastic. Thank thank the other people for the role that they played. Um, because even people that you cut out of your life have played a role. Mm. You know, some of them have, some supported me when I, I had nobody else that supported me. That's very tough to let go of because, you know, then you start to question your own levels of loyalty and, and all of those sorts of things. But again, ultimately, if it doesn't have a purpose, then it shouldn't have a place. Um, and, and that's how I try and make a lot of my decisions. I'm pretty upfront about them. I, I don't try and make excuses for them. Um, and then we get on with it. I love it. I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I, and I think there's a lot about, you know, experiences that are good or bad or indifferent that serve you and, and they teach you things. And, and, you know, even I'm sure anyone listening to this, and I know for myself, there's been some people in my life that I'm, I'd be glad not to see again, but I, they have served me and they've, yeah. pro and they've provided, and I, and I now these days look at the, the great experiences in that as much as I can, because it's, uh, it's, it's not, not only really feels good, it feels better to look at it that way, but it's yeah. also a better, a more resourceful way to think about solutions. And not, not everybody's meant to stay in your life forever. No. Right? You know, some people are, mm -hmm. uh, some people aren't. That says nothing of that person. It doesn't mm -hmm. say they're a bad person. 
they might have just been there for a season to help you get through something. You mm. may have been there to help them get through something. Mm. You might have had fun times, but things come and go in life, um, mm. not just people. And, you know, that that is what it is. Talking about something that came and gone, uh, and, you know, you talked about getting outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, go I, on, then. I, I just want to throw SAS <laughs> in there because, you know, we may not be, get a chance to go and unpack the whole thing in terms of time, but oh, I just look at, you know, what you did, you know, and for anyone who's curious, you know, Gary was on SAS Australia and uh, jumped in the deep end there. Jeez, it bloody looked hard. <laughs> what, 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 just tell us what happened. That was, un- that looked bloody uncomfortable. Yeah, look, literally jumped in the deep end. The very first experience, I suppose the, the first experience was the boys uh, coming off a helicopter, you know, stopping our bus, throwing hoods in our head and, you know, uh, frog marching us out to, you know, God knows where. Uh, but the, the next thing literally was, uh, you know, 10, 15 meter platform, uh, some backwards dive that, you know, you, um, you don't know what's happening, but you're too scared not to do it. So you just uh, go through with it. So, you know, jumping in at the deep end literally is what, uh, is what happened. But, uh, look, it, it was a show that, that I started watching when it was in the UK. And, and the thing that drew me to SAS Australia in particular, you know, came out of the UK version was, not necessarily that the guys and the directing staff that were on there had had this great career with the SAS. You know, I'd, I'd worked with some people from the SAS in my in my previous life, and the stuff that they do is fantastic, and it's stuff to, that that not very many people in this world can do. But all of the guys that that were the directing staff had hit their own hurdles after their level of success with the SAS, and then they rebuilt their own lives, um, not just to be on TV, but they rebuilt their own lives with their families, with their personal success, mm. with their business success. And so they must have confronted some demons at some stage. And and again, they were people that, you know, I wanted to be like when I first started watching SAS. I wanted to be uh, a guy who had found success, battled some demons and found a way to come back. And and I always wanted to go on the show, but it was it was an English show. And, and then uh, uh, the, it became you know, SAS Australia. They had a celebrity version of it. And uh, so I found out who the producers were and I wrote to them and I said, you know, about me being on the next one. And I, I, I got one line back saying it's for celebrities. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I tried to uh, mount an argument that, that I might have uh, fit the bill somehow. You know, I sent him in a clipping from the paper, uh, you know, something like that. Um, but again, it was a chance. It was a chance for me to see whether or not the work that I had done um, was meaningful, whether or not. I'd put in the work required, well, you know, because when you do something like that, you're going to break down. Mm. There is, there is no, there's no other way around it that at some stage you are going to break down. And I knew that I'd been able to battle test the work that I'd done in my regular life, but I wanted to know if I could battle test it if I really got, you know, put to the blowtorch. And, um, you know, it was, it was difficult. Uh, it it was, it was as difficult a process for me. I found it a lot more difficult physically. Uh, I was a bit older. I certainly wasn't in as good a shape as I am now or as good a shape as I could have been. Um, but this experience is one that I'm very grateful that I got the opportunity to do. And, um, uh, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about me. I learned a lot about other people. And I also learned a lot about how we can still kid ourselves that we put in a lot of work um when we might not necessarily be doing that you know we we have to put ourselves to the battle test Mm. we have to put ourselves to the blowtorch to actually realize whether the work that we're putting in Mm. in all facets of life you know if, if you're studying if you're building a health and fitness game if you're building a business you have to put yourself to the blowtorch to figure out whether that work is actually working Mm. and if it's not what do you need to do to change it well it's almost necessary i think it comes to life isn't it you're not going to succeed without avoid it no no that's right you you will not find your level of success or fulfillment uh unless you put yourself to the blowtorch in wrapping up you know one of the things that i've noticed in the narrative and just what you shared there it almost is like that hero's journey story right it's like you know the 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 man goes into the wilderness he's got to battle this this dragon he finds the magic sword he's got to go through a bunch of you know, difficult task to get there on the other side after slaying the dragon, right? It's, it's, everyone has that in them, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, you know, look, the, I don't know. The, the, the beauty of the work that I do now is that everybody has the same problem. Mm. Everybody lives the same life. You can insert different, um, you can insert different characters, you can insert different symptoms. Um, 
But everybody has a responsibility to be a hero to themselves. Everybody has a responsibility, you know, to be a hero to those that they're responsible for. The question is whether or not you choose to, you know, stand up for that responsibility, whether or not you want to put yourself to the blowtorch, whether or not you want success, whether or not you want the things you say you want. This is a, this is a big drama with a lot of people who say they want things, but the only the only test of whether you want it or not is whether or not you get up every day and move towards it. You can say you want whatever you want. I don't care. Mm. You can say you want a Lamborghini, a six pack, $10 billion. Are you going to go get it? If you do not get up and take actions towards that on a daily basis, that's your answer. Yeah. Yeah. And the other part of that is you can know everything you need to know about getting a six pack or having a billion dollars, right? There's plenty of books. There's plenty of information out there. Yeah. Information is not the the, the solution, is it? It never is. If, if it was, everyone would have a six pack and a million dollars, right? The information of how you get a six pack and how you get a million dollars is freely available anywhere you like. The problem is doing it. Mm-hmm. And people just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't start at the start. They don't start to ask themselves, what do I actually want? Mm-hmm. And they keep following a path that other people have conditioned them to want. Well, Gary, mate, it's been an awesome chat. And uh, I think my final question in wrapping up is is a little bit on that line that we just sort of, we're on now is, what does Gary want, right? You know, what are, are you? what's the next phase for Gary? What's this next chapter look like for you? Yeah, look, my, my ultimate purpose is to change the way men manage mental health and mental strength and mental conditioning. I feel like, there's a Fyodor, I always get his name wrong, a Dostoevsky quote that says, all I want in this life is to be worthy of my suffering. And my main purpose is that my pain has to mean something. There is no reason for me to have gone through what I've gone through unless it means something. That does mean uh, chasing down a path of changing the way that men manage mental health. That's primarily my business or high performers manage mental health, mental strength and success. But it's also making sure that my pain means something as it relates to me as a person, as it relates to me as a husband, as a father, as a business owner. Um, And so everything that I do today is based on the fact that everything that I've been through must have been for a purpose and moving towards that purpose is all I care about. Well, mate, I wish you luck with that. I uh, Actually, I don't think you need to luck. I think you just need to keep the discipline you've already got. Well, the great thing is it's a journey that never ends and, and I'm looking forward to taking it all. Uh, you're a good man. Well, thank you very much. For, on behalf of everyone that listens to this, uh, I get the privilege of uh, being here with you in the room, but uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed it. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, plenty of value in that for many. And uh, I hope when you reflect and uh, you look at, look at uh, what Gary's had to share, there's something that you can take away and do something with. But Gary, mate, really enjoyed it, mate. Appreciate it, Brad. Thanks for having me on, mate. Thank you. Anytime. Cheers, mate.